Joining me today is the founder and president of Live Action, a pro-life organization which advocates for the dignity of all human beings. Lila Rose, welcome to The Rubin Report. Thanks for having me, Dave. I'm glad to be here. Well, I'm glad to be here, too. You had reached out to me like a year ago about having a civil conversation about abortion. Is that even remotely possible? We're about to do it. We're going to do it? <laughs> we're going to do it. All right, we're going to awesome. see because we, we do. I think most people watching this from the beginning, just from the way I introduced you, know that we have a, a different position on this, and that's okay. I've had this debate and this conversation. I don't even want to call it a debate. I've had this conversation with Ben Shapiro and a series of other people. Um, but this is the one. I mean, to me, abortion is the one that is the most polarizing and sort of it just makes everyone absolutely crazy. So let's put it that there, and here we go. So just tell me a little bit about yourself first before we sure. get into the specifics. Sure. So I'm, I head up this not-for-profit, not for but that's most of my time in life. But I'm also big into my family. That's really important to me. I got married last fall. And Congratulations. I actually have seven siblings. Wow. So really pro-life. Yeah. <laughs> or my parents were anyway. Yeah. Um, and then I live in Berkeley right now, Berkeley, California. So I'm born and raised from San Jose. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What are you doing up in Berkeley? I'm having, having a good time. I'm yeah? <laughs> are they okay with your alternative I mean, lifestyle up in Berkeley? I mean, it's, yeah, it is very alternative. But you know what? More people are open-minded on this than I think we give each other credit for because people just assume they, they have like an opinion on it. But once you start to engage and have a conversation, people, are, people can be very open-minded. So there definitely are people that are just kind of your stereotypical set in their ways, this is my ideology. Right. But I've had some really good conversations in Berkeley. So I think people find it really interesting to see how people have either evolved or not evolved or changed or not changed when it comes to abortion. Did you come from a family that was, well, I guess you just said your, your family was, was pro-life. Yeah. Conservatives, Republicans? Yeah, was, they would, I would, I definitely think they identify as conservative. They weren't necessarily activists. So what, when I started Live Action, I actually started as a teenager. It was kind of an oddball thing because they were not out there doing pro-life activi acti activism or you know doing activism of any really political kind. Mm -hmm. um, but they were very people that really cared. My family really cared about pe other people. They cared about education. We were homeschooled, so we had this, that wow. alternative lifestyle. They were kind of like hippies in a different way because they were all you know big family homeschool. Um, we we had like chickens. Um, We've got some chickens back you do? here. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. You can play with the chickens later. I look forward to it. Yes. <laughs> so okay, so you got into this topic. I mean, you started doing activism related to abortion when you were in high school. Yes. Yeah. How did that possibly come to be? Yeah. So we we again, it was kind of alternatives. I was actually taking like college classes when I was twelve. Like we had a really kind of mismatch or uh, patchwork education. We did all kinds of you know. I was going to some high school classes, some college classes. So there was a lot of free time and flexibility in my schedule. And I had a lot of a passion and ability to pursue things I loved. And when I found out about abortion, I was just very, very concerned. Um, I was really interested in all kinds of human rights issues. I was really, you know, I was involved in like volunteering with children with disabilities, volunteering with homeless ministry, you know, house building in, in Mexico and Tijuana. Um, famine relief in Niger, so I was really into just wanting my life to be, you know, serve, give back. And when I found out about abortion and I started to really consider what was happening, so there's 3,000 abortions every day in America, so that's a million a year. And I started to look at the fetal development and see just how amazing this little life is, even in the first trimester, that this is a life, and just the violence abortion does to that life. Um, and I was learning all this as like, in, you know, my early teens, I was just deeply struck because I thought, if this is really life, or the, if these are really humans, like you and I are humans, and you and I started, you know, Embryo Dave, you know, yeah. back in the day, Embryo yeah. Lila. Like we he was all, wearing the same jacket. Yeah. <laughs> very fashionable, I'm sure, yeah. um, in utero, but we all started that way. And I was just thinking, I thought, I realized, this is the greatest human rights issue. I can get involved in a lot of other causes. There's a lot of things to care about, but this is life and death for 3,000 people a day. And they're people that are not protected by the law. They're seen as society as less than, not human. And women, girls, I mean, as a woman and as a, as a young woman, very young woman at the time, I just thought, I'm being told that taking this life is a good thing, can be a really good thing for me. And I just thought, how can this be? This is a violent, violent act. So that really inspired me just to begin live action. And the idea was I just need to get a group of 
friends together to do community education, basically community organizing to educate other young people in high school and junior high about what abortion actually is, about embryonic and fetal development, about the risks to women. No one talks about the risks to women. Um, about the way it's harmed society and how this is not peace and justice, this is actually violence and injustice. And if we want to be better together and be more loving and be more, more compassionate, we need to eradicate this altogether from our society. This episode of The Rubin Report comes to you with support from our friends over at Bravo Company Manufacturing. In the Second Amendment, the Founding Fathers guaranteed an individual the right to protect themselves. Owning a rifle is an awesome responsibility and building rifles is no different. Started in a garage by a Marine veteran more than two decades ago, Bravo Company Manufacturing, or BCM for short, builds a professional grade product which is built to combat standards. This is because BCM believes that the same level of protection should be provided to every American, regardless if they're a private citizen or a professional. Bravo Company Manufacturing is not a sporting arms company. They design, engineer, and manufacture life-saving equipment. BCM assumes that when a rifle leaves their shop, it'll be used in a life or death situation by a responsible citizen, law enforcement officer, or soldier overseas, so quality is of utmost value to them. Every component of a BCM rifle is hand-assembled and tested by Americans in Heartland, Wisconsin to a life-saving standard. BCM has always put people before products. They build their products because they feel it's their moral responsibility as Americans to provide tools that will not fail the end user when it's not just a paper target, but someone coming to do them harm. Because of this, BCM knows that making reliable, life-saving tools is only half the story. They also work with leading instructors of marksmanship from top levels of America's special operations forces. To learn more about Bravo Company Manufacturing, head on over to bravocompanymfg.com where you can discover more about their products, special offers, and upcoming news. That's bravocompanymfg.com. Need more convincing? Find out even more about BCM and the awesome people who make their products at youtube.com slash bravocompanyusa. Now back to the show. Okay, so I want to touch on a lot of those issues that you just brought up. So you start live action as a, as a young teenager. Um, how did it go? Were you were you immediately uh, attacked? Did your friends all want to join on board? I mean, what what was that like? Yeah, so to just put yourself as a young person out there because right. I get so much email now from from kids that are in high school that whatever their issue is, they're starting a young libertarian club yeah. or something, and just the amount of hate that they deal with yeah. and all that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we definitely got a lot of rejection um, because very few people, like when we were pursuing schools to give presentations at schools or even churches, we even got rejection from churches because mm. we wanted to go and we developed this very professional presentation on like the facts, right? And we got training and we really did our research and we developed this whole program and literally it took a whole year to convince the first church to let us come in and give a presentation to the, to the youth group there. And it took, you know, several months and into years to really start getting schools to allow us to come and give presentations. But we did end yeah. up making Why would you be getting pushback from churches that I assumed were completely ideologically aligned? Well, just because you're ideologically aligned in theory doesn't always mean you're aligned in practice. So unfortunately, even in the church and a lot of Christian communities, abortion isn't talked about. Um, women are having abortions, you know, even some people are encouraging women to have abortions, like even pastors in some situations, like privately behind the scenes, you know, if their daughter gets pregnant. So there's some really awful things that happen like that. And there's this fear of offense. It's a fear of offending their congregation. Um, or it's just, just wanting to be Mr. Nice Guy all the time or Mrs. Mrs. Nice Guy or Nice Girl, whatever. Um, and so people are afraid to talk about the tough things, even when, according to the, the research that has been done, the people who are having abortions as many people identify as Protestant or Catholic as secular and not no religion who have abortion. Mm -hmm. So you have people who are maybe not going to church every Sunday, but who have some sort of faith background who are not really educated and not really empowered. So they, they're also having abortion. So that's part of the battle is getting this message. Forget what your religious label is, getting it to people so it really touches their hearts. And then you make in, inroads in the church community to provide the support for women who face unexpected pregnancy. Were you shocked at just how hard it was just getting the conversation going? Because the way I always frame this is if you listen to, you know, broadly speaking, if you listen to uh, how the media deals with this is if you're on the right, that means you hate women. You want to somehow control women. And if you're on the left and you're pro-choice, that means that you hate babies. I mean, that's basically how it's framed and not mm -hmm. just through the media. That's basically yeah. how our politicians yeah. are framing it. 
how did you find you could sort of get past just yeah. the the box that people look you at? You just this talk in? to people. I mean, listen. Most of our most of our impression of what the left really says and the right really says, or what abortion act you know advocates supposedly really are saying, meaning just a normal person who identifies as pro-choice, like their representatives in media. Um, versus what we see or what we think are the representatives for pro-life often displayed in media are not the actual fullness of the position and they're not actually dialoguing. So the benefit of being a teenager at the time and talking to like sitting down with the youth pastor or going to the school administrators and trying to get inroads was that I was able to just talk to them as a human to a human and discuss what we could bring to the table, discuss you know our program and it wasn't you know two people debating in five-minute segments on a TV show, you know? So I yeah. think when people actually talk to each other in their communities, things change, you know, when they actually have a respectful dialogue. It doesn't seem that way, though, if you were to watch TV or look at news headlines because it looks like the world is so crazy polarized. Yeah, so, okay, so if we were just sort of starting from the beginning here, if you were sitting across from somebody and let's say they were neither here nor there on the issue, they didn't feel strongly either way or they just right. wanted more information. What, what are some of the things that you would be telling them? Sure. So I would start by, first of all, finding the common ground with them. I would say, you know, do you think, and I'd ask you, Dave, you know, do you think that it's always wrong to intentionally take a human life, an innocent human life? Like, is it always wrong to intentionally take an innocent human life? And pretty much like 99.9% .9 of people. Yeah. Right. I'm going to wait yeah. on answers so that when we okay. get to our, okay, sure. our differences, sure, sure. I think it'll, it'll have so a little more weight. So they all say, yes, yeah. it's intentionally wrong to, indirect, to directly take an innocent human life. And I was like, okay, great. We, we all agree. So number two, abortion is the intentional and direct taking of an innocent human life. And that's usually where people are like, really? T tell me more about that. And then obviously the last conclusion would be, therefore, abortion is always wrong. But then we have to unpack, well, why is abortion always the intentional and direct taking of an innocent human life. Well, first of all, we know because science shows us that a unique individual human life begins as a single cell embryo at the moment of fertilization. Like you and I both began our life that way. And from that moment, our sex was determined, our eye color, our hair color. Within three weeks, our heart started to beat. Within six weeks, our nervous, our brain waves are starting to, you know, that can be detected. Within seven weeks. So you believe that life begins at conception? That's uh, it's not, I wouldn't call it a belief, I'd call it an acknowledgement. An acknowledgement that life begins at conception. And then we know, like, you actually look at abortion procedures, there's no debate. I mean, they intentionally, directly dismember, disembowel, destroy that child, that life, that human life, in the first, second, and third trimester. So because of those two facts, uh, you know, abortion, the intentional taking of an innocent human life is wrong. So, okay, so there's a lot of, a lot of ways we could go here. <laughs> yeah. So... All right, let, let's do, we'll do some of the more sciencey stuff first. Um, okay. In cases where there's a threat to the mother, let's, yeah. we'll just rifle off a few of these. W what, what position do you think is right or just or fair? Yeah, that's a, a very good and important question. And there are certainly cases where pregnancy can be, have complications or severe complications. If those were to be the case, the intentional direct taking of that innocent human life and abortion is not a medical treatment. This is a big confusion that often happens in kind of pro-life, pro-choice soundbite debating. Like mm -hmm. we're not actually talking to each other because they're like, well, women need abortion for health. And when you actually unpack it, early delivery, so in some severe cases, for example, if there are um, ruptured membranes or infected membranes inside the uterus, so the, you know that those are attached to the baby. In some cases, you might have to, for severe infections that's starting to form, you might have to deliver the baby early. That's not an abortion. That's not targeting the baby's body for destruction using forceps or using drugs. That's delivering the child because she's, she or he is attached to a part of the woman's body that's causing infection. So that would not be an abortion. And pro-life and pro-choice agree that in some cases that may be necessary. And, but for any other case, like for example, if I get chemo or if I get cancer and I need chemo, mm -hmm. um, you don't have an abortion. You might choose to undergo chemo and that's in targeting the cancer cells, might harm the baby and the baby, there might be a miscarriage, but that's not an abortion. So you can do any number of treatments as a woman who's pregnant who might have complications or might have other conditions, but the direct taking of that life, going in there and targeting that baby for destruction is not 
a medical treatment. Right. So are there no cases where it's a direct threat to the woman's life that then... There, there are cases where the things related to pregnancy might be a threat, mm-hmm. like, for example, ruptured me- or um, infected membranes. But that in that situation, delivering the child early, that's not going in there to tear the child apart with... I mean, the way abortions are done, abortions aren't done through just... Right, but in effect, if the child wasn't ready to be given birth to... Right, and that would be a really tragic case. But in that situation, there should be careful management of the pregnancy to try to allow that baby to live for as long as possible in the womb so that there would be a chance for the baby to be delivered alive. But the point is not using just a, a, you know, a forceps and a lethal injection to kill that child before delivery, but trying to give that child a chance. And if that child were to die after delivery because he or she is too preemie, too much of a preemie, and, you know, preemie keeps getting pushed back and back, as you know, like 21, it's 21 weeks now that some babies and a half that can survive after Mm -hmm. birth. It's amazing. They're so teeny. But we should at least give them a chance. And that's, that's, it's a total mentality shift. The mentality shift is, are we going to attempt to save this life? this life of the child as well as we treat the mother, or are we going to just say this life is not a life, right? Mm -hmm. And we can target his or her body for destruction before birth. Okay, so that's dealing with health of the mother. So what about cases of where it's health of the fetus or of the child? Mm -hmm. So I know somebody within the last year or so uh, that had an abortion a little bit after 20 weeks, I think, because the child had severely, severely... um, an underdeveloped brain, and, and the doctor said this was not going to be anything remotely close to a to a functional life if if it survived in the first place. So, w- where do you stand in a case like that? I mean, I would first say if there was a toddler with a severely underdeveloped brain, is it okay to take the life of that toddler? Because you have a severely underdeveloped brain, or you have even a life-threatening condition like you you have a terminal illness, does that mean you should be killed? You know, what? Like, why don't we treat you with love and try to eliminate the suffering and not the sufferer or try to serve the patient and not see them as somebody that we could just kill? So I think we just need a total mentality shift. And if we acknowledge that these are humans, like a toddler or an infant is a human, if an infant is a human, then before birth, that same child, you know, whether it's weeks or months earlier in their development is a human. Humans beget humans. You can't, it's not like a different species. This is a human, mm-hmm. individual, unique life. They deserve the same, they deserve the same care and protection that an infant does. So we shouldn't, we don't leave infants to die. We shouldn't leave infants to die because they have a life-threatening condition or because they have a severe disability. So does the state then owe the mother or the parents, let's say, anything, if, if the state, let's say there's someone, like this case I just laid out to you, where this person, they, they just disagree with your premise there, they just feel that they should be allowed to do what they want, but then the state says, no, you cannot have that abortion, you have to bring this child into the world, they fi- and yeah. now let's assume that the child survives, it has all sorts of problems that they don't want to deal with, and the state forced them to, mm-hmm. to bring it to term. Yeah. Do you think this, there's any responsibility of the state there? Because yeah. this is where I find a little bit of the conservative argument yeah. to be tough, because it's like, well, okay, I get it, you, you're trying to protect life, right. I can go with you on that, but then at the same time, if you're, if you're using the state to force that, mm-hmm. well, you also don't want the state to be supporting people, yeah. and now you have a little bit of a chasm there Mm -hmm. in in the logic. One of the first things we usually do before we buy something is read the online reviews, right? Word of mouth is still the best way to get real feedback. So why should finding the right software for your business be any different? Read thousands of real software reviews and find the right software for your business at captera.com slash Ruben. Captera is the leading free online resource to help you find the best software solution for your business. With over 750,000 reviews of products from real software users, you can discover everything you need to make an informed decision. Captera lets you search more than 700 specific categories of software, everything from project management to email marketing to yoga studio management software. No matter what kind of software your business needs, Captera makes it easy to find the right solution fast. We research several options for our show from bookkeeping to scheduling. Visit captera.com slash Ruben for free today to find the tools to make an informed software decision for your business. Captera.com slash Ruben. That's Captera, C-A-P-T-E-R-R-A dot com slash Ruben. Captera, software selection simplified. Now back to the show. 
Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I say, first of all, you have to be consistent. If it is he or she is a life before birth, then, and, if, and she's a life after birth, if she's a life after birth, she's a life, he or she is a life before birth. So, you know, if you're looking at it from the pro-choice perspective of it's not a life, then you can do whatever you want. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, you know, if you can prove to me this is not a human life, I'm fine, you do whatever you want. Right, so but I think that would be, a, in my view, that would be a pretty extreme position. For I, I don't find yeah. that many people saying it's not a life after but I think certain that amount of weeks. Be consistent. If you're a human life, do you have human rights? Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's just about consistency, and it's about. So this is the logic side, and then I'll address like okay. what you're describing as the compassion side. But you, I think we have to be logically consistent because we kind of like our. It's like our brains start turning off. I think sometimes on this, mm-hmm. if he he or she is a human life before birth, and science is conclusive about that. You know, the, the, United, the United Nations Declaration, Universal Declaration on Human Rights, says that all members of the human family have these rights. And then in Article 6 it says that these are, you know, anybody who's a member of the human family has the right to be seen as a person under the law. These are members of the human family. They're smaller, they're more dependent, they're, 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 they're very fragile, you know, they need time and nourishment to grow, but they're members of the human family. So they deserve to be treated that way. Um, but in your in the case you mentioned, you know, I think it's a it's obviously very complex because if you're if you're like you know have socioeconomic struggles, you're not able to care for a seriously a child with serious disabilities or a life threatening condition, you know, terminal illness, then yes, I think that there needs to be a, appreciation for that, and, and our society, our community should be supporting those families. And you know, if the family is really not able to care, the parents really not able to care, there should be a way that the ch- they can place that child for adoption or find other caretakers for that child. And those, do you think that's on the state, though, or do you think that can just be done with churches and synagogues and other? I think it's best done by people closest and most intimate in the community. So I'm a big believer in subsidiarity. So this idea that the best resource or the best solutions for a community will be as meant as localized as possible. Um, that being said, there will be situations where the community isn't available or, you know, somebody fails somebody. And so I do think that there should be backups. I think that, you know, I, I think a lot of the systems we have in place, they're very imperfect, like, you know, for born children, um, for infants, for children who suffer serious disability, for infants or children from families that are not taking care of them, you know, with addictions or abuse. You know, I think the foster care system needs a ton of work. I think that um, but I'm grateful that it exists. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm grateful that we have some programs, um, some state programs. I think the more localized and the more we can empower local communities, the better. So I'm not against those things. I think they need to be improved. But I think those same things should apply to the child before birth. It's not, again, we have to be consistent. If this is a human life, they, they deserve protection just like a born life, whether you're before birth or after. Yeah, so when we talk about the science part of this, if, if something in science, I mean, a lot of this has to do with the way people just view, I think, the nature of reality and, and really, you know, what science versus belief. I mean, it's all here, which is why this topic is so difficult to talk about. If, if science could somehow prove to you that, say, that life, in essence, doesn't begin until three weeks in, could that shift your position on this? Um, that, you know, that the egg meets the sperm, okay, conception, but then for three weeks, the, whatever that is at that point, it Mm. actually doesn't qualify as, as life by a sort of technical scientific term. Hmm. I feel like even in the questions, a little bit of a contradiction, just because you said three weeks from something is when life begins. Well, three weeks from what? Well, that's why I brought up the question, because (laughs) this is where everybody's definition of everything I think is, uh, you know, you can look yeah. at a three-week fetus is obviously mm-hmm. very different than what it's going to look like at six months and everything Yeah, but else. you looked really different yeah. as a baby. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, baby Dave had a massive head, as, as yeah. did I, right? Like, <laughs> so humans are supposed to look different at different stages of development. Um, but, but I think, look, what is the IVF specialist trying to get in a lab? What are they obsessed with getting when they're trying to create life in a test tube? They're obsessed with getting the meeting of a sperm and an egg, the fusion, that moment of fertilization, then they have a single cell embryo and they know that and they'll tell their client, the family, we have you know, 10 embryos, you can implant three or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're obsessed with getting that moment, that special moment in a test tube because that moment means something. And the, the science on this is conclusive. What that moment means is you have a unique individual life 
that needs nourishment to grow. So you, it cannot survive outside the womb. It cannot yeah. survive outside the test tube. It, it, needs, it needs a ton of support to grow. But if you give it that support, and if you don't interrupt his or her life, kill it, then he or she will become one day, you know, an adult, you know, yeah. one day will grow into, you know, the, the person and then eventually pass away as we all know we die. So that is human lifespan and that's conclusive. There is that meme that I always find it's hard to get my way out of, which it's like, they'll show like, you know, a month old fetus and they'll say that, you know, everyone agrees that this is life. Mm. And then they'll show, or, you know, or that people on, yeah. you know, everyone on the right basically will agree that this is life. Yeah. People on the left will say this isn't life. And then they show, you know, like a speck of something on Mars. Oh, and they'll yeah, say, yeah. Well, you know, life. all these scientists say this is life. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, that's But it's a, human life. I yeah. mean, there's a lot of life out there. But we're talking about something very special, which is human life. And that's why, like, even the United Nations, and I don't know if there are United Nations fans here, but even they have said. Yeah, like, I'm not a huge saying, fan of the United well, Nations, generally speaking. A lot of reasons, but yeah. they actually, you know, are, are contradictory in their policies. But their, but their principles say, you know, all members of the human family, all members of the human family. So, you know, and, and I think, look, it's not just right versus left. I think on this, you know, I'm from California. I live in Berkeley right now. I went to school at UCLA. Like, I've met people on left and right who are pro-life. And in the pro-life movement, there are atheists, there are secularists, there are people who are more left-wing who are also pro-life. So this is, unfortunately, it's seen in the media, and it's, it's because the Democratic Party has like abandoned pro-life ideas, which is really sad, because I think you there are pro-life Democrats out there. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of Democrats are pro-life. Actually, the majority of them want abortion restrictions, but they're not getting their day. They're not getting representation. You know, they're getting these crazy senators, like all the Democratic senators who are running for office, like Kamala, Cory Booker, Kirsten Gillibrand, uh, Warren, um, San Bernie Sanders, I mean, I guess he's not Democratic, but he basically is. Yeah. You know? All of them are the most pro-abortion people ever. They're, they're for abortion through all nine months. Right, so, so. okay, so let's, let's bring that to sort of where I'm at, because they are making my life difficult for this, <laughs> because I, I often describe myself as begrudgingly pro-choice. Mm -hmm. I view this as, I think I view this probably as horrifically a choice as you do. You don't, you don't think it's a choice per se, but I view the, the idea here as, as probably as horrific as you do. I don't think that something at 18 weeks is not a life. So when I discussed this with Ben, my, ben Shapiro, my position, this was I think a little over a year ago, um, and the clip really took off. Mm -hmm. um, my position at the time was that at 20 weeks, they've, there's more than ample evidence that the fetus can start feeling pain. Mm -hmm. And I would view that up until that point, that I would leave the choice with the mother, that, that, that it's not a good choice, I'm not defending the choice, I'm not moralizing about the choice, but that, that's just the position that I would want the power to be with the person that is here and now. Now Ben said to me something that you already alluded to, which is, which if, well if you're saying it's a life at 20 yeah. weeks, you're obviously acknowledging it's a life at 18 weeks, yeah. and to be logically consistent, I had to concede that point mm -hmm. because Yes, I, I am yeah. acknowledging that. I'm just allowing the life that's here and now to yeah. sort of supersede in the in the decision making. But, but why did why did we have this mindset? Like, let's imagine. I mean, there are women that kill their infants. They're born they're born alive infants. I mean, there's just a horrible case in Texas. This poor girl who you know had gave birth and and stabbed the baby to death, and now she's being tried for murder. You know, the very severe penalties, which is a whole other debate, right? But it's like, why do we? Why aren't we consistent on this? Is it because the infant or the 20-week-old can feel pain? Is pain the the kind of ticket to legal protection? Like my ability to feel pain? Because what if I was paralyzed? I couldn't feel pain. Right. So you know? again, I don't think it's I don't think it's a perfectly airtight logical argument. Mm -hmm. My my deference though is to the mother. Now I would say this, and this is why I prefaced it by what you just did with the, with the Democrats right now, is that they have now gone seemingly so far extreme on abortion where it's now we're talking late trimester and then there was that really awful video of the, the governor of mm -hmm. uh, Virginia, North right? Uh, yeah, uh, talking about decisions that could be made after birth. Yeah. They've gone so extreme that I'm finding, I'm finding, I'm finding holding uh, what I yeah. think is a somewhat moderate position here, I'm yeah. finding to be just very difficult. Yeah, I mean, I hear you, and I think it's because they're actually being consistent. That's the thing, on, on abortion, I don't think that you can have a, when it comes to looking at when life begins, when life should be protected, I don't think you can have a moder moderate position. It's either it is a life and it should be protected, he or she should be protected, or she or she is not a life, 
And we as adults, the strong people in the room, the mom or the, the doctor, we get to decide when that life deserves protection or when that life can be killed. So I think that actually, in a way, as, as repulsive as the Democrats, like, you know, crazy abortion through all nine months and leave the infant to die after birth, as, as crazy it sounds to most people, they're actually being consistent because they're saying, well, it's a helpless, dependent infant slash fetus slash embryo. I decide as the adult when I can confer on, you know, the value on this. I get to make the final medical decision, right, as I see it, a medical decision. So leave me alone. Like, leave me alone, state. Let me do what I want to do. And, it, yeah, I think that they're actually being consistent if they really think that we have the right to take some lives. So how much of this discussion is just that you think people don't really think through their positions? Because like I, I've thought about this a lot and I get you. I, I really I hear you and I find this, you know, who knows what I'll what I'll think in, in twenty years and we're all, and who knows what <laughs> you'll months. think in twenty years or whatever. But that but yeah. that's what that's what really thinking through an issue yeah. is about. Right. And, right. and and you know, there's also an irony here because, you know, for someone like myself, if you take a classical liberal or libertarian position on this, you believe in the individual above anything. Mm. So my position has been, well, in the individual, I'm looking at it through the woman's choice. Now, I get the counter argument. I've heard this from a lot of libertarians. Well, if you really believe in the individual, there's an individual right, right there. The right. fetus is the individual. Um, but how much of this is just that people don't, people don't want to do this? Yeah, I think it is a lot of that. I think that most people would actually come to the pro-life position. And when I say pro-life position, that's so, I think, weighted down with these, like, political, you know, edge to it. Like, well, that means you're, like, a Republican and you love Trump if you're pro-life. It's like, no, that's actually not true. You know, pro-life, it says all humans are, all human lives are precious and have the same human rights. I mean, I think that's the, the pro-life platform, you could say. Um, and that starts in the womb, obviously, and it ends at natural death. But uh, yeah, I think a lot more people would be more open-minded and more willing to like acknowledge human life in the womb and see the violence of abortion if they had the conversation. But we just assume that the other side is wrong. You know, we assume, and, and people I think when it comes to pro-life, if they're pro-choice, they assume that's just what the crazy Republicans believe. You know, or that's what Trump thinks, or that's what Trump is doing, or you know, they, they don't really, and then they're afraid. I think that's the other thing is fear. People are afraid. And, and even what you were saying, Dave, about being moderate on this, I think there's this fear of like women are going to be set back. Mm -hmm. Like mothers are going to be set back if abortion is illegal, if abortion is rejected societally. Cause right. Well, it's always yeah. framed as a woman's right issue or a woman's right. health issue, I should right. say. Right. Right. Which is extremely yeah. misleading because, I mean, the first, I, the, a key part of the Hippocratic Oath on healthcare is do no harm. And actually, the original Hippocratic Oath, which is that all doctors and medical you know, personnel had to take this oath saying that they would actually not administer abortion because abortion is doing harm to the second patient, to the, to the child. It's killing that child. So it, it, we have to have a paradigm shift on this. And we also have to see that there, are res there is responsibility that is involved. I mean, I'm not saying that any woman who gets pregnant, she has to parent that child and be involved in that child's life for life because that's, you know, that may be something that's really difficult for her or something that she's not able to do. But I think we need to take more responsibility for each other. I think that's part of the message too. So then going back to the question that I asked earlier, do you think that a sensible thing for the pro-life movement to do, let's say, and this is a strange hint that I might be giving you, would be, <laughs> would be you, you focusing more on what's done after, so we frame that before within whether it's done through the church or some other private yes. organization, but if the focus was there so that mm -hmm. you could take the pressure off all of the right. men and women who, you know, they're sort of somewhere in the middle, but they're really concerned that if you're gonna force people to mm -hmm. do this, you're gonna bring all these unwanted pregnancies and all of these things out there, and then you're gonna have, or you're gonna have more women, you know, going to back alleys and all that stuff. That, so that if your focus maybe was there a little bit more, maybe, maybe that would do something. I'm really well, just spitballing this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that is the pro-life movement's focus. I mean, again, this is totally the misrepresentation, I think, of our, of our work and, and of the movement's work to people who disagree. I mean, again, people who disagree are likely not going to be getting their news from people who are pro-life. People who disagree are going to be getting their news from organizations. Like, the New York Times is pro-abortion. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the Washington Post, the editorial boards are pro-abortion. They explicitly are in support of abortion. You know you're not going to get me to defend mainstream media here, <laughs> True, right? Now you're my, just giving me red meat. But, but my, point is, my point is that you don't know what's going on in the pro-life movement because people haven't taken the time to look. 
the pro-life movement has thousands, more than, a, more than abortion clinics, thousands of pro bono, confidential pregnancy and early childhood care support facilities and you know places where they provide prenatal support they provide ultrasound they provide parenting classes baby clothes diapers and then when the child is still an infant they'll try to help place for jobs they'll try to do resume work they'll do all kinds of amazing things and there's thousands of pregnancy centers across the country that are designed for this and the social net safety nets that we do have in this country are designed for 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 young mothers and for young families as well those those exist churches that are doing support, you know, connected to pregnancy care centers. So there's a ton of stuff out there, like here in LA, there's several of them. And I volunteered at them, you know, when I was a student. So they're out there, they're just not getting any press. Yeah. You know, people just don't know about them. So what about the... the so we do care, we care about, we're, you have to be consistent, I agree. If you're pro-life, you can't just be like, I just love the baby before he or she was born. We love the baby, period. We love the, the life, period. And there's work being done for children both before and after birth. Yeah. So what about the sort of like nitty gritty legal parts of this? Because the, the discussion about abortion often mm -hmm. is just framed through Roe v. Wade. Right. So where, where, well, I don't have to ask you where you fall, <laughs> where you fall on yeah. Roe v. Wade, but it is one of those positions where, again, and I say this is begrudgingly pro-choice, and I hear just you, and, I, and I, hear, I, I really, I do hear you on these yeah. arguments, I really do. Um, but as a state's mm -hmm. rights guy, because yeah. everyone, every, a lot of people think that Roe v. Wade was about making abortion legal, right. which, isn't, which isn't the case. This mm -hmm. was a, that it was federally right. uh, mandated so right. that... It stripped away states' protection. So Roe v. Yeah. Wade basically said, you can't ban abortion in your state. You're not allowed to. Abortion is a right. You, could, you need to allow abortions, and that's actually part of the, 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 a women's right in your state. And look, I mean, you could do this, you could kind of walk back to another human rights abuse our country uh, profited, both profited from and perpetuated, which is slavery. And you know, you had this, this, this situation where you had some states who saw the, 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 uh, the person, the slave, as three-fifths of a human, literally three-fifths of a person. And then you saw some states who said, no, these are persons. I don't think states should get to decide that some humans are persons and other humans aren't persons. I'm with everybody's a person. If you're a human life, you're a person. Now, how we care for you and protect you is going to be complex. That's that's a whole other question. Mm -hmm. But I don't. I, I'm about. I'm also for states' rights. You know, I think we're a very big, diverse country. I think localization is important for laws and for you know both laws, safety nets. You know, community how communities are governed. But I don't think that we should get to decide whether some people live or die. I mean, that's See, what it's, it's interesting because this is where, because we don't have these conversations enough, you don't hear people explain that properly because you hear a lot of people on the right will say that they think it's an overstep of, mm -hmm. by the courts mm -hmm. of what the Constitution should be laying out in terms of states' rights and the individual and all that. You're saying that even though you're for states' rights, that you don't even think this is a states' rights issue. It's not, this, yeah. yeah. I mean, again, it all comes back to is he, is he or she a human life? And do all human lives deserve protection? I mean, again, I, I know it's hard to be—it's hard to be consistent in that way because we have these competing concerns, especially ones that have been heavily branded and promoted, like this idea of women's rights, this idea of choice. I'm for women's rights, by the way. I'm for choice. I'm for bodily autonomy to the degree that I'm not interfering with somebody else's right to live. But again, I can't interfere with somebody else's right to live. And if I have a child within me, that is a responsibility I do have to a degree at least, and other people should be helping me with it. But that doesn't mean I have the right to end the life of that child. Okay, so let's go to just some of the seriously unpleasant parts of this. When, when we see videos of what an abortion is like and all of these things and undercover Planned Parenthood things where they talk about yeah you know, throwing body parts into a gar, I mean, yes. horrible, horrible, horrible yeah. stuff. Yeah. I, I, I guess I want to give you an opportunity yeah. to just address yeah. some of that. Obviously, yeah. it's not yeah. that shocking to you of what's going on here. Yeah. This podcast is brought to you by the guys over at Vincero Watches. To kick off our partnership, the guys at Vincero were kind enough to send me a couple of their watches. I gotta tell you, I've been wearing this watch all week and I've been getting tons of compliments. I've got it on my wrist right now and trust me, it looks good. These watches are the real deal. If I didn't know how much it cost, I would have guessed it was at least a $500 watch, but these guys sell them for just a fraction of that. In fact, Vincero has over 15,000 five-star reviews from people 
people who've all had their expectations exceeded, just like me. As a special thank you to my listeners, Vincero is offering an extra 15% off to everyone tuning in with code Ruben. That's V-I-N-C-E-R-O watches.com forward slash Ruben for an extra 15% off. I'm wearing the Chrono S in rose gold, but they have dozens of watches to choose from, and all of their watch straps are interchangeable, so you don't have any problem finding one that fits your life and style. Now, if you're the kind of guy that just likes to be told what looks good, I went ahead and picked out my four top watches at Vincero. You can go to vincerowatches.com forward slash Ruben to see my favorite styles. That's V-I-N-C-E-R-O watches.com slash Ruben. And don't forget to use code Ruben to get that 15% off. And now back to the show. Well, I've been inside abortion clinics. I mean, I've done investigative reporting and I know people, you know, obviously David that has done the investigative reporting exposing the body parts trafficking that happens at abortion facilities. Um, he and I work together, so I'm very familiar with that really ugly side of it. So what does um, that actually mean? That they're actually aborting fetuses yeah. and then selling the body parts? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, now they would say, we don't make that much money off of them, so it's not really selling. But they're making like 70 80 $90 a body part, and if you've got five body parts, if you got a heart, a liver, a brain, you know, you could be making $400, $500 off of each fetus, off of each baby, and on top of the $500 or $400 or $600 abortion, you're talking about 1000 bucks plus an abortion then, you know, all in profit or all in net, you know, money coming in. So it is an industry. Um, the government's funding it. People don't realize this, but the National Institute for Health has a budget, $100 million in the last reported year goes to research on aborted baby body parts. So think about that, like the government is literally have this, has this hundred, you know, hundred million bucks, millions of dollars, which is for these researchers. And so they're gonna go buy, they need their stuff. They need their body parts. So where do they go? Abortion facilities. And they're gonna be like, you know, it's profitable for the abortion facility to do business with the middleman who then hands it off to the, to the experiment, you know, the, the person experimenting on these on these children's bodies. Where where does Planned Parenthood fit into the equation? So they sell, um, they've sold body parts, and they continue to sell body parts. Um, in fact, the district attorney here in Orange County shut down a middleman that was doing business with Planned Parenthood to buy body parts from them to then sell them off to medical experimenters, you know, who are doing experimentation on on them. So Planned Parenthood is one of, I mean, they're the biggest abortion chain. I mean, a lot of people don't know this about Planned Parenthood because they're like, Planned Parenthood, you know, right. awesome. They're well, you always hear people say Planned, it's, it's less yeah. than 1% of their activities a, or, or something a, like that. Yeah, even the Washington Post has given that three Pinocchios, you know, like <laughs> Slate has called it very misleading that they do one, you know, one or 3%. Um, the fact is Planned Parenthood is the biggest abortion provider. So they commit over 300,000 abortions annually. That's almost a third of the national abortion rate. Um, they're the biggest kind of single chain that is doing abortions. That's 900 abortions a day, 900 lives taken a day, up to 24 weeks. So even past the point you say you're, you're you know, okay with, these are children that are viable. Um, but all of the abortions are, are wrong, are, are taking innocent human lives. And that's a lot of dead bodies that they could do business with middlemen to get them off to you know, labs where they're experimented on. Is there any country in the West that are, that's doing the laws in a, like in a better way, life. <laughs> in a better way yeah. within your estimation. So Malta, you know, Malta has, you know, really better maternal. I don't know that Malta's ever been referenced on the show before. <laughs> well, Actually. go Malta, you know. Yeah. Um, Malta's really pro-life and they're very, you know, no abortion is permitted in the country. Um, Ireland was very pro-life until abortion activists, a lot of them imported from the UK and from you know other countries went there and said no, this is going to be we got to legalize it. Mm -hmm. But they so so wait, let's let's just back up though. So in yeah. a country like Malta, are there numbers on how many women are now actually going to back alleys and and what is actually the state doing yeah. after? So to address yeah, and, the other and part, that's a, that's a great question, Dave, because I think that is a, a a fear that motivates like abortion pro-choice people sometimes. Like, well, women are going to go to back alleys. That's actually a myth. That's actually a myth that all these women are going to do back alley abortions if abortion's illegal. Before abortion was illegal and was legal in this country, the abortion, the supposed um, deaths from back alley abortions were in the hundreds, not the tens of thousands that were claimed. Mm -hmm. And the the reason we know this is first of all the CDC was reporting in the hundreds, 
but the, the tens of thousands that were claimed, that they said, well, tens of thousands of women are dying right now, um, were fabricated numbers. And the people that made up those numbers later on admitted it. Hmm. So Dr. Bernard Nathanson was an abortionist. He helped found the National Abortion Rights Association, so NARAL, and he later became a pro-life activist, this guy, and he said, we made up the numbers. We were just trying to like get our agenda through. So we literally made statistics up out of thin air. What, what was it that changed him? I'm sure there's an interesting story I, there. I mean, there are a lot of things that changed him, but eventually, because he's doing all these abortions, and eventually he just saw, and you know, as he was looking at the ultrasound of what he was doing and the child basically running for his or her life, I mean, from the suction, he just was like, I can't, this is, all of a sudden it clicked for him. I mean, it's kind of a mysterious thing. Why didn't it click before? But it clicked for him and he just thought, I can't do this anymore. And at the same time, he was having his own faith journey, like believing that human life is, is made by a God, a creator who loves us. And that also was beginning to move his heart on it. Um, but so it took him years to kind of have a full, like, you know, 180 on it. But eventually he became, you know, a, a pro-life activist and said, I, I was a mass murderer. You know, he wrote books about his experience and mm. said, I, you know, I, I took 70,000 lives mm. and, and shared that. So. So we discussed a little bit about the belief part, and you mentioned that there are non-believers that are mm -hmm. pro-life. You really never hear about that. D do you find that they have different issues that they're thinking about or struggling with, or? Meaning if you're not of a religious background? Yeah, because yeah. the general picture of someone right. that's pro-life is usually just like a Christian conservative. <laughs> I mean, that's just, yeah. that's generally what it is. You don't find that many, or you just don't see publicly right. that many atheists or just right. more secular pro-life people. Yeah. Well, first of all, I wasn't always identified. I didn't always identify as a Christian. You know, when I was like in high school and, and as a teenager, I actually ended up becoming a Catholic in college. But it was after my own journey of discovering what I believed, and whether I knew for sure what religion I identified with, if at all, I knew that it was wrong to intentionally take an innocent human life. So I think again, if it goes back to the 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 the, the facts of this, and it goes back to the you know being consistent doesn't matter your worldview. It doesn't matter your religious background. It doesn't even matter your political affiliation. Nothing matters except do you believe human life is, it should not be intentionally killed, innocent human life, and is the child in the womb, is this an innocent human life? Um, but that being said, I think there is a growing amount of people, even in the pro-life movement, who don't identify it with a religion, who are, you know, atheists. I know these, some of them personally, atheists or um, part of, uh, you know, very left-leaning causes, other causes who are pro-life and see it from a scientific and logical perspective and from a human rights perspective. Um, but there are a lot of, obviously, people of faith who are pro-life. I wish there were more <laughs> just because, you know, there are people of faith who are out there being Christian and they're not doing anything about Pro, you know, abortion. Mm -hmm. There, you know, this is the greatest human rights issue. The, there are thousands of children being killed every day, and and women facing an unexpected pregnancy at churches, and it's not talked about enough in churches. So, just because you're a Christian or conservative doesn't mean you've got it all figured out. You know. Have you found um, counterparts on the pro-choice side of this that are willing to have this discussion? Because originally, when when I think you reached out to us, or maybe it was on Twitter at first about coming on the show, I thought, all right, well, I should do this one as a debate. Mm -hmm. And then I thought about it a little bit longer, and I thought, you know what? No, let's let's do one just with you, so mm -hmm. we can hear your ideas without it, you know, without yeah. the, entering the fray. And then I'll find somebody. It, it will be a lot <laughs> easier to find someone on on yeah. that side, right? Um, and do that, and then maybe we'll do this as yeah. a debate then, or a conversation, yeah, I'd or love something. To do a debate. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and I'd be happy to do it, but I wanted to mm -hmm. do it separately first, yeah, just yeah. so that all the ideas can be out there. Do you find that you can find people on the pro-choice side of this that will? debate you in this in an honest and even way because I don't have to tell yeah. you I'm finding it harder and harder yeah. to find people broadly on the left that will do these types yeah. of debates without attacking you personally and your motives and it's really hard and things of that nature. yeah it's really hard Dave to find people willing to debate about this <laughs> I have been on shows like radio shows TV shows and Planned Parenthood has been invited and every time they've declined like Planned Parenthood spokespeople or representatives and I was actually on a live radio show. It was somewhere in the Midwest, and the Planned Parenthood director of that Midwest affiliate was on the other line. Like she had been, she had been invited. And when she heard my voice and she heard that who I was, like as a pro-life activist, and she heard me talking, she literally hung up. Like she, she ditched out of the, sh you know, ditched the show. So I have seen in the pro-abortion world 
uh, I call it pro-abortion because I don't think, again, there's, there is middle ground on this, but in that pro-choice world, I've, it's very hard to find people willing to have the debate, especially on live TV or in a longer, or, you know, a, a format where it's filmed where people can watch it later. Yeah, it's so interesting because that I just find so consistent with everything that's happening on yeah. the left these days, on every issue, if you want to talk about climate change, they won't talk about it because you have to accept their position first, right, or whatever. Right. And again, I say that I say that as someone that's not fully where you are, obviously, yeah. but like I'm finding it more difficult and more difficult that they're state they're in an odd way they're staking out religious positions. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's like it's the new Pharisees, you know. It's like I'm so holy, I'm so right, I'm not even going to deal with your dirty, you know people that don't just don't agree with me and like mm-hmm. you know I'm I'm the one who's pure I'm the one who's compassionate I'm the one who's correct and yeah it's really vicious and it's really bad for yeah. everybody you know what do you think the pro life community generally thinks of Trump at this point i mean he's probably <laughs> in a weird way been the biggest supporter for you guys yeah. in modern times at yeah. some level, right? Yeah, I mean, he has been very supportive in in many ways. Um, I was very skeptical when he ran for office. Um, I did not vote for him in the primary, um, and I was really concerned. I thought he was potentially just kind of tricking all of us or trying to trick people, you know? Even when he had Mike Pence come on as the VP, because Pence is super pro-life, and he mm-hmm. has been consistently politically for years. Um, I was encouraged by that, but I was also like, is this like your token pro-life Pence, you know, mm-hmm. on the ticket? But he has, the administration has done some very pro-life things, which I'm really grateful for. I find it really sad, though, that, you know, the the one that's most pro-life as far as the policy is concerned, you know, he, he did, he reversed the Mexico City policy, which is international funding for abortion. He um, defunded Planned Parenthood. Wait, let's talk about that one for a second, because that was actually, I think, one of the first things that he did, right. and it sort of went under the radar, and, and then I saw all these people arguing about it, and it's like, so we were actually funding abortions, over, uh, not overseas, but in Abortion Mexico, over, yeah. over yeah. Not, beyond our borders, for yeah. some reason, we were using American tax dollars yeah. to do that. Do, do we even know why, why was that policy <laughs> even in place in the first place? Because that, that has nothing to do with whether you're pro-choice right. or pro-life. That's just like, why are we funding abortions? anywhere. Why are we funding these type of things outside of our borders? Yeah, I mean, population control is a lot of it, and that is rooted in eugenics. So the early eugenicists in this country were also Margaret Sanger and her friends. She founded Planned Parenthood, and they wanted to use, they used forced sterilization. Like, she promoted forced sterilization. Margaret Sanger, who is the founder of Planned Parenthood, she actually designed the one-child policy. She wrote out a proposal for a one-child policy. If you were parents you're not allowed to have more more than one child the state would force you to only have one offspring and that's what china's doing right now Mm -hmm. i mean they've kind of expanded it to maybe the two-child policy but it's it's really horrific i mean it's this idea that the government gets to decide what happens in reproduction so it's the whole thing about pro-choice is actually the opposite of it it's like so not choice that you are not you're forced abortion forced sterilization and in some of these developing nations I know stories, and these are anecdotal, so we don't, it's hard to even know the full body of research on this or know what is actually going on. But I have anecdotal stories of women who went to family planning clinics in Mexico or family planning clinics in some African nations that are UN operated, funded by, have been in the past funded by US tax dollars, and they were, without their consent or knowledge, were given IUDs placed in them that they then didn't know how to deal with. I mean, they would, you know, years later, this one woman had migraines, she had all these health conditions, she didn't know what was wrong with her. Finally, they discovered this old IUD in her hmm. that had been there in her for like 15 years and was potentially could be life-threatening. So there's all kinds of weird stuff happening where the rich... Right, elite, I suppose that, that depends how far you want to go down the rabbit hole of what yeah. these the rich elite maybe in the UN are doing about. They're like looking at impoverished countries and they're thinking, hmm, what are we gonna do with impoverished countries or countries that are struggling? Let's have them make sure they have less children. Like, why not better education, access to clean water, better infrastructure, less, you know, better democracies? Why are we just gonna try to kill off or limit their ability to have children? I mean, it's it's a really uh, terrible, Approached and very and very, and I think in many ways it's racist and it's and it's 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 a discriminatory just because people are poor against them. It's right. like because you're poor, you shouldn't have children. 
Right. It's one of those things, I mean, to, to be funding these things beyond our borders, the United yeah. States, remove the UN for a second, but to, you know, for the United States to be doing it, well, such a strange thing. Well, we're within our, our borders. I mean, well, Parenthood is getting... Whether, you, whether you're for it or not, yeah. doing something within your borders is one thing. Doing right. something outside right. of your borders yeah. I mean, is it's something our, else. It's our, I think, you know, we're, we're going to go save the world. America's going to save the world. Yeah, America can do good in the world for sure. But you're not saving the world by going off and helping other people kill their offspring. I mean, that's just not good. So what is the funding Do situation? Better, you know? So Yeah, so I, I, you hear a lot about this, about how much we either give uh, tax dollars for abortions and Planned Parenthood, or they'll right. say, no, it's 99% private, right, 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 or all right. extremely confusing information that, <laughs> that, again, it's one of these things. It depends who you follow on Twitter right. to... to basically decide yeah. what you think on this. So what, is, what do we need to know about funding? Yeah, so here are the basic numbers. And again, I, I'll, I'll explain what the opposing side may say So we, for, for, you know, to maybe show where the disconnect is. But there's over half of a billion dollars being going to Planned Parenthood from taxpayer, U.S. taxpayer sources. So that's federal money, and it's shifting, you know, going down through the states, being distributed through Title Title Ten. Historically, that's what President Trump just cut, actually, um, his administration, and through Medicaid, largely. There's all these other teeny little pocket streams, you know, streams of money as well. So Planned Parenthood says, well, we're not, they're not funding our abortion because we're using this to reimburse for ultrasound or reimburse for condoms or reimburse for, you know, um, a pregnancy test or whatever. The problem with that is those reimbursements are helping fund the infrastructure at Planned Parenthood where they're committing abortions. And some of those other services like ultrasound or pregnancy tests are done around the abortion service. Right, so, so it's like the precursor basically. Yeah and, yeah, and it's just the money's fungible. Like, you know, it's kind of like saying like we're not going to fund the, you know, fund steak, you know, people eating steak because it's wrong, Just eating cows is wrong, or, you know, mm -hmm. or it's hurting the environment, whatever, right? right. Um, and so we're not, we're, but we're still going to fund steakhouses half of a billion dollars a year. It's like, well, it's only paying for the ketchup and the french fries and like, you know, it's just like, come on, guys, like, it is funding a corporation that has increased abortion numbers over the last 10 years. And a lot of their other services have actually declined. Is there any other funding that the U.S. provides that outside of Planned Parenthood? You mean to abortion providers? Yeah. Not typically unless they find ways to reimburse for similar things that Planned Parenthood is doing. So there's a, there is a Hyde Amendment where, in some, I actually take that back because in some states like California, you can reimburse directly for abortion. So that's the state money. So we're just talking federal money, this half of a billion dollars. Mm -hmm. um, so Planned Parenthood, if you went to a Planned Parenthood in California, if you qualify, you could reimburse for an abortion, even a late-term abortion in our state and other states. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a that's a a big chunk of money and it's hard to even track that money because every state tracks it differently but but yeah I think the fact that they're funding the infrastructure for Planned Parenthood they're funding the ability for it to market itself build relationships and communities um, you know put the turn the lights on hire the staff it all helps them increase their abortion business do you know the numbers or the specifics on like states that right so I get your position on Roe v Wade I would assume a state like Mississippi still probably has the tightest laws around when you can mm -hmm. have an abortion versus a state that yeah. I suppose like California that probably has the most lenient. I'm, I'm just picking right. those two, but right. I'm guessing I'm not that far off. Yeah, there are the some is. states, like for example, Ohio recently passed the heartbeat bill, um, which would try to ban abortions once the heartbeat can be detected. The problem is- U Usually when is that? That's at just three, you know, three weeks, basically 21 days amazing how quickly like most women don't know they're pregnant at that point they 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 like don't even haven't even necessarily missed their period yet or mm -hmm. they might just start to be missing it um so anyways yeah i think th there are states that are trying to ban abortions like past the first trimester or in the first trimester but they're being hit with challenges because that's where roe kicks in you know roe says and roe and doe doe which are two different cases and then kcv planned parenthood these different illegal precedents after Roe that basically say if you're a state, it's really hard for you to ban or nearly impossible for you to ban abortion after, you know, before viability. Mm -hmm. um, or if you create too much. So then the, then the discrepancy is when is viability, right? Right. And, and that, med, you know, medical uh, advancements have pushed it further and further back. You know, now a child can survive at 21 and a half weeks. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. uh, who was born completely preemie. And that may continue to push back. But again, it's so arbitrary. It's like, why does that define whether or not you should live or die? Mm -hmm. You know, how advanced medical technology is, whether or not you can be killed or not.
So you would argue that then this law in Ohio, the Harpy Law, is basically, you would say that's a good first step or yes. something, something yeah, to that we, effect? Yeah, we celebrate any, of, any laws like that. And there are some states which are also trying to limit abortion by making, it, making abortion facilities have to have standards like hospitals. So that's another thing that has made some progress. In. What standards are they so held to So, for example, now? ambulatory hallways. So you're able to fit your, uh, you know, a, a, um, a stretcher through the hallway so that if there's a woman who starts hemorrhaging, which has happened, you know, happens sometimes with abortion, she can be carried out on a stretcher. Um, or the doctor has to have visiting privileges at a nearby hospital. So if she goes to the emergency room afterwards, I mean, I just knew a friend who recently had to go to the emergency room um, who had an, had an abortion. And you need to have the doctor be able to accompany you or know who your doctor is, have admitting privileges. But again, abortion advocates are against all of these things. They think abortion facilities basically should have as few regulations as like a dental clinic or even less actually, like a tanning <laughs> salon, you know? Because again, it's this idea, this ideology, it's a women's right, don't interfere whatsoever. And you know, in the so what state? What state's the most lenient? If if Ohio is sort of doing it right mm -hmm. in your estimation, what state would you say is is sort of the most out there? On this? Well, New Mexico is really out there. It's abortion through all nine months for any reason. Very few. So states. that really is real. So yeah, you that real. means that you can have a perfectly healthy yeah. eight month yeah. fetus. Yes. Yeah. And you don't have to have a medical excuse. You don't have to have a. No. There's yeah, no, I mean, I, yeah. I mean, this is where I, I just, I can't, and then, I got yeah. nothing left, right? Like, Yeah, I mean, it's happening. People don't even realize. When, when New York happens... Are there numbers on how often that happens, say, after... It's really hard a, to after track. After that 20 weeks or yeah. something like that? it's really hard to track. We know it's in the tens of thousands. But it's hard to know exactly, you know, because some of the state reporting, like California doesn't report to the CDC how many abortions it does or how late term they are. So the national numbers, I mean, we know tens of thousands, but we don't know beyond that. We don't know what else is happening in some of these states. What New York did is already being done in seven other states, abortion through nine months. But we just, again, people just don't know. Media is not reporting on it. Wait, so the New York thing, which just happened, and there's a very, I thought it was a very chilling video. I mean, I tweeted it, even though I wasn't thrilled to do it, of all of the state legislator, cheering. legislature yeah. of cheering this bill. Mm -hmm. So that, that bill allowed it under any circumstances? So they had, months? in New York, they said, well, if there's a health or a, a, it could be emotional health or a mental health reason, economic reason, that the mother and the doctor decides. So that's really saying it for any reason. Because if, if I go and say, you know, I'm not feeling like doing this because I just think it's not convenient for my life right now, um, it's not good for my life right now, and you got the abortionist to sign off on it, which, you know, they're making up to $20,000 for a late-term abortion, then you're good to go. Man, it's unbelievable. And then they had the, the uh, Statue, not Statue of Liberty, the Empire State Building yeah. was in, in pink or something. Because yeah, the World Trade, the World Trade what, Building built, is lit, that what it was? lit up in pink, yeah, to celebrate the late-term abortion passage. I mean, this is where I say, it's like, I, they're making my, <laughs> I, I, what I would again say is yeah. a pretty moderate yeah. decision. And you know, you're saying that 21 weeks now because science has advanced yeah. that, a, that a fetus could be, uh, you know, uh, livable. Right. And it's like, all right, well, I'm talking about the 20-week pain thing. And if I, that had, I could, Probably, if we did this long enough, you could get me to move forward on that. Yeah, okay, well, I, I well let's say, say it's yeah. 16 weeks. And, and again, right. I'm conceding that because right. that was the exact conversation I had with Ben, right. where he said, well, if it's at 18 weeks, and I can't, I can't deny that. But then when they take such an extreme position, yeah. and I think this is what's happening all over the political landscape yeah. right now. We have sides taking just extreme positions all over the place, so we get pulled in ways that but maybe think, aren't the default I places think, for I us. I think that's true about policy decisions. Like, mm -hmm. how do we deal with environmental concerns? How do we deal with healthcare? How do we deal with tax policy? What do we do about the poor? What do we do about homelessness? Like, there's so many. What do we do about education? You can have extreme policy positions, but with pro-life, it's not about policy. It's about fundamentals. It's about do human beings have the right to live? And does the state, is it the state's duty to do their best to protect them, even if it's a complex situation? Because in a situation where, you know, there's, for example, child abuse, right? If a family is abusing their children, the state isn't inspecting every home to see if, you know, child abuse is happening, mm -hmm. right? So similarly, if we made abortion illegal, it's not like the state's going to be inspecting every pregnancy. They will have to, we'll have to deal with it. We'll have to deal with that complex situation. But it comes back to, 
are we about protecting human rights, the right to life, or not? And that's why with pro-life, I don't really see it as one extreme versus another. I actually see the Democrats' position right now of abortion through all nine months as the logical, consistent argument coming from this idea that human life in the womb does not have value, does not have legal rights. I right, so say. you're really giving the devil his due there. You're saying, all yeah. right, if this is what you guys want, then this actually yeah. all makes sense in a weird if way. if it doesn't have legal protection at 19 weeks, why should it have legal protection at 20? All right, so one more for you. And then I promise you, we will do this. If I, if I can get someone that will have this conversation in good that. faith, I I, we, will, we will absolutely do it. And I welcome people to you know, give us some recommendations yeah, in the comments below. Um, what kind of cost is this had for you to just mm -hmm. do this? This is not the type of thing that you're going to get invited to the parties <laughs> at Berkeley and the cool parties in L.A. and everything else. Just putting yourself mm -hmm. out there on something, I, you know. I, I know about getting hate online. Yeah. What, what does this cost you? Yeah, I mean, I've gotten my share of hate online over the years and, you know, death threats and weird attacks and stalkers and just very, you know, fake porn websites set up about me and just very weird things over the last 10 years doing this activism and doing reporting on this. Um, but, you know, it all kind of, I put it all in perspective because I think, look, we live in one of the freest and most prosperous nations despite these horrible blights that we are struggling with. Like, with, in the past it was slavery, in the past it was, you know, women not even having equal rights under the law as men, and now we have abortion. So we are dealing with our crap. We have, we have this stuff to deal with. But I feel very privileged, and so when I do experience attacks, I put, it, it helps me to put it in perspective, you know? Um, and then also just the incredible reward of seeing lives being saved. I mean, I've been privileged to see lives being saved because of the work that we do, like p women who learn the facts and they say, I could never do this, I'm just not going to have an abortion now, I'm canceling my appointment. And we get pictures of like the newborn. And you know, we're just, we're just like start, you know, start crying, like thank, you know, thankful, thank goodness that this happened, like thank God that this happened. So it's incredibly rewarding because we're dealing with life and death, but so it's extremely painful because we're dealing with really horrific violence, but we're also seeing lives be born and live and thrive and that's what it's all about. So. Well this is what it's all about for me. I mean this is exactly why I do the show and I'm thrilled that you came in here and we'll continue this conversation. Awesome. And uh, Thanks, for Kate. more on Lila you can follow her on Twitter at Lila Grace Rose.